I'm Danielle Houston. I'm a health and welfare advisor here at Locked In Companies. This is my podcast, The Checkup. And today we are exploring what is happening in our market with our carriers. Specifically, we are talking with Aetna. We're going to be talking about how they are addressing social determinants of health. And that's a combination of different practices we're going to talk about and some I'll call them new behaviors and things that maybe you haven't quite seen from your provider or your health insurance carrier. And then we're gonna talk about what these narrowed networks and specifically Aetna Whole Health are doing that help us address some of those determinants, but also just making healthcare more accessible and easier for people like us, people like the people you're covering on your health plan to see their doctor and get quality care. My guests today are Eric Amador and Mig Anson. Eric is a senior account executive here in Washington State in the Northwest. Mig actually joins us from Ohio today. She is the lead for value-based care performance in Aetna's West and South Central Territory. So she's really working at the heart of bringing these providers together and helping to measure the value of how that's all working. So we're going to get a little deep today, but welcome, Eric and Meg. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, I'm really excited for you guys to talk about what Aetna is doing because it is different. And I would love for Eric, you know, you're going to talk a little bit about the social determinants. I think the first place we really wanted to start is to define them. Let's just really briefly tell people what are social determinants of health? So social determinants of health are really the conditions in which people are born, grow, live, work, and age. Um, These circumstances are shaped, obviously, by the distribution of money, power, uh, resources at a global, national, but most important, I think, at a local level. Right. And, and what we've realized is that these social determinants of health are mostly responsible for the health inequities that uh, we see in healthcare right now. And I would invite people, if you'd like to really dig into more about that, I had an episode with Linda Brink, who is also a locked in person. She is our expert in health risk strategies. We talked a lot about that. And as a little refresh, Social determinants of health are something that we're, we're learning that it may actually make more of an impact for people than some of the genetic dispositions that you might be born with, whether or not you live in a community with sidewalks, as an example, if you have a lot of parks or gyms close by, how accessible fruits and vegetables are in your community. So there are really a lot of basic things to Eric's point that really are about how many resources are in the community that you're born and live in. So Eric, and I know this is the topic you're passionate about. (laughs) When we first started talking about it, it really comes down to some stories. So will you share with our listeners why you're passionate about this topic? Yeah, very passionate because, um, as you know, we discussed earlier, I grew up in central Washington, a little town called Sunnyside. Um, I'm Hispanic, high Hispanic population in central Washington. And, and growing up, you see a lot of disparities in healthcare. care. Um, 
especially where culture, you know, especially his, the Hispanic culture is a big deal. Um, you know, and, and just, and just coming from that, that, that place in my life and getting over to Seattle, um, when I started college and, and still having connections there with my family, it, it, you, you can see the differences, right? And I experienced some of those. And, uh, you know, the next story I would attach to that is this past summer, um, my dad, he had a, a stroke and a blood clot went to his brain. I mean, luckily, the events that happened, the, the, most, the more serious events, he was already here at Harborview, um, came out mostly, mostly unscathed, luckily. But, you know, his, I give that, that kind of example because that is very common where I'm from, um, especially among Hispanic males. Um, you know, I think I would even say there's almost this like badge of honor if you're a Hispanic male to only go to the doctor when you are feeling miserably sick, right? Not going to the doctor is, is kind of, you know, wow, you're so brave and macho and, and, and you know, but not really. We all, we, we're in healthcare. We understand that inevitably we're just delaying that big event that's going to happen, right? And on top of that big event, maybe it's high blood pressure, diabetes, all these chronic conditions that kind of creep up. So to me, it's like we need to get a bigger grasp, a better handle around the social determinants of health and, and really use it to, to help guide plant sponsors and, and brokers who advise them and a way to set up their health plan that can help help around these issues. Right. It is a matter of really meeting people where they are. And I'm not from central Washington, but like I shared with you, I was born in rural Southern Illinois. Most of my family is still in that Southern Illinois and Southern Indiana area where there aren't very many providers. You know, you may have to drive an hour and a half or two hours to see a specialist that you know, here in Seattle might only be a 20 or a 30 minute drive away. And the whole county where my family lives, there's one gym and it's at the hospital, which <laughs> is there to help people rehab. You know, there are three dentists in the county. So these are the things that I, I think we can very easily take for granted or just not realize how there are certain areas of the country or certain cultures that aren't as embracing of healthcare or simply just don't have it. And, you know, if you work a job from eight to five, Monday through Friday, and maybe even longer, that means even just driving to a doctor's appointment really becomes nearly impossible. So I love hearing how um, Aetna is really combating that with some different things. And I would love for you to give us some examples. Um, and one of the things that you talked about is this use of data to identify members. Tell us a little about that. Yeah, I, I think it's important to note that we've here at Aetna, we've been looking at social determinants of health for the past 20 years. But not until about three years ago when Karen Lynch, who was the president of Aetna, who is now the president of CVS Health, really challenged us on the commercial side to not look at this as just a social justice issue, but as a healthcare issue as well, right? And so I think for many years, our healthcare plans have been evaluated on two criteria, uh, efficiency and effectiveness. And what we're doing is we're adding that, that third tier equity, right? So... I tell people, um, if you go to a plant sponsor, Danielle, and you say, hey, 
Um, I think you need a little bit, you need to be a little bit more fair in designing your benefit plan, benefit plan. So most people who need the care will go seek it. Great advice, but not very powerful. So if you can approach that same plan sponsor and say, look, if we address the overutilization of emergency room use to this very specific portion of your population, we can calculate that we could probably save you a million dollars in your healthcare plan. They start to pay attention a little bit more, right? So I think what this does is allows us to be more specific and take that data and use it to the to the plan sponsor's advantage. Right. And you talk a lot about a proactive approach and member engagement, not waiting for people to find the healthcare system, maybe for lack of a better description. What are some of the ways that, you know, you identify those members and really what's the next step for that employer? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and you, you, I always say, I start every presentation, every time I talk with you know, a healthcare, our healthcare system is so reactive, right? And we all know that pro, being proactive is, is going to really help us lower costs and really focus on the people that need help. So, you know, with our unique analytical tools that we have, um, we're getting plan sponsors the data that they can use real time to really make significant impact. So let me give you an example. Like we, we've created this, um, what's known as an equity uh, framework of health, right? And so we did all this data analysis and what we pulled out is there are three main factors um, that really determine this uh, awareness, access, and affordability, right? Awareness being that a majority of, of, of members under a healthcare plan don't really even know that they have some of these benefits available to them. Um, they don't know that a program feature to help with their diabetes is even in place for them to pick up the phone and call somebody you know, the, the access, I would say that an example would be is, you know, you have a member who would say, hey, you know, my pediatrician for my son closes at five, but my shift goes until 7 p.m. There's no way I can make I can make that appointment. Right. And, and the last affordability, which I think is the biggest is, you know, a lot of members struggle monthly with their bills. Maybe I can't afford to fill my prescriptions this month. Right. So what we're trying to do is get the data deep enough so these plan sponsors can really look at it and say, wow, if we really focused on these two things, it would A, allow our employees to go see, seek care of them and their family when they need it, and B, we can make it a little bit easier and maybe that's with maybe changing deductibles or cost share of the plan, right? So we have those type of tools to help dive in that deep with the plan sponsor. So some of it comes down to making it easier for members to find their care, right? Uh, I do feel like originally, you know, our healthcare system was set up kind of like a maze and you had to be really pretty smart <laughs> to follow the breadcrumbs along to, you yeah. know, find out who the specialist was or who could you go see. So part of it is that the care navigation, as you guys would, would call it, and then transportation support. I mean, it seems like kind of a simple thing, but I mean, if someone has an appointment, but maybe that doctor isn't on their bus route, is this part of the, the piece there that Aetna's layering in? Yeah, yeah, and we've, um, we've been uh, piloting in some of our markets nationwide, it, it, just exactly that. So, you know, someone's having trouble getting to appointment, maybe it is, they have to switch buses. I mean, they already have the anxiety of, 
missing work and being away from their families. So what we've started to do is maybe look at partnering with Uber and Lyft and getting these people rides to their, their doctor appointments, um, taking care of that cost or cost sharing with them to be, for them to be able to go to the doctor one in, in one, in one visit to get there in a, in a decent amount of time and to get back into their lives without having to worry about bus schedules or I'm going to miss this. What do I have to fa- sacrifice in order to make this work? So again, one of the examples that we're doing, absolutely. Yeah. It reminds me of this example. I heard a plan sponsor give at a conference a few years back when they looked at data and they realized that many of their the pregnant people within their population weren't getting good prenatal care and they were having complications later on premature births. And, you know, initially they sort of suspected that maybe there was, you know, something, well, much more, you know, much more negative happening, right? They were looking for a, like this big problem. And maybe it's an example of, of the zebras, you know, if you hear, you know, don't look for zebras, look for horses. So when they started looking for horses, they realized that so many of that population that were having pregnancies with complications weren't getting prenatal care. And it was because their provider network didn't have many um, obstetricians that were on the bus lines of where most of their people lived. So when they were able to look at the demographics of where that younger childbearing population lived and then make sure they had doctors that were close by, all of a sudden, you know, things started to change. And it seems like a small example, but I do think it's a great illustration of how looking at that data might tell a really different story than maybe what we were expecting. And perhaps it is something that Uber or a Lyft ride could very easily and affordably solve. Um, what about gaps in care? You know, this is something I know we, we all hear a lot about. So how does this play into Aetna's strategy? So, you know, what we're really trying to do, I think, is engage members at any point that they are at in their healthcare journey, um, especially when we talk about people who are experiencing the social determinants of health. Um, how do we get them to take their medication on time, right? What, so let me, for example, we have a care management team and what we try to do with the data is how do we engage these people um, to react? And, you know, back, you know, not even several years ago then, right? You would get a flyer in the mail saying, hey, you could participate in this program, or you would get an email that's saying, did you know that you qualify for this? Pro-? You know, and uh, we had to get farther than that, right? So what we've really done is trying to gauge these people a little bit quicker and easier. So if we are going to call them on the phone, A, do, is English their first language? And if not, do we have a translator ready for them to talk about these type of things? And two, we're seeing a lot of success with text messaging, right? We all live in the age where not a lot of people talk on the phone anymore. We all just send texts to each other. So giving people the data they need as quickly as possible with a text message, hey, we, we noticed you didn't fill your medication. Can we help you with that? And if you want us to walk you through, dial this number. And then even going so far as to, you know, you get to the root of the cause. And well, I not only haven't I not refilled my medication, but when I do feel it, I'm not taking it. Okay, well, why is that? Well, I don't really know. I didn't talk to enough of with my doctor about, I'm not, I don't feel comfortable, especially in vulnerable populations. 
a lot of trust issues, right? So we can connect you right there with the pharmacist on the phone to talk to you, to talk you through some of those questions that you might have. And again, it's just engaging people at the right time with the right messaging, and it's very impactful. So what does this mean to communities where Aetna contracts with providers? I, I think two things. One, I think plan, uh, providers are going to start to notice that plan sponsors are, are taking, are, are starting to realize that these metrics matter, right? And so uh, I think we'll see more adaptable hospitals. And what I mean by that is maybe we're going to have um, uh, cultural minority experts or social workers or, you know, just making that communication barrier easier. And, you know, we're, we're doing it now. I think there's a hospital here in Seattle that realized um, there were a lot of their patients were coming and they realized that after the first visit, a lot, some of the second and third visits, they, they were being missed. So they'd call these families. And what they realized is that, you know, these people were coming from other parts of the state to Seattle and they couldn't afford the hotels or the Airbnbs around the area. So what this hospital did was they used one of their parking garage um, floors and turned it into an RV hookup station. So little things like that, right? Really knowing your population and what you're dealing with is going to help you and the members actually receive care. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's what we're trying to do here, right? We're just, we want to make this as easy as possible for people so they get engaged, so they adapt, and, and we can work together and making them healthier again. Are you envisioning, are you hearing other ways that Aetna or maybe even other providers here in Western Washington or, you know, even even Eastern Washington. Let's not leave out our, our, right. uh, folk, our folk <laughs> on the other side of the mountains. But um, are you hearing and envisioning some other ways that we're going to make this easier for people? Because we should just, I mean, I think we kind of say it in roundabout ways a lot, but we've made this really, really complicated. How else are we going to make it easier? <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and I think I won't, I'll, I'll, I won't take all of Meg's thunder here when she talks about our ACOs, but different plan designs that are easy to use and understand and really getting the provider, um, the provider part of it, right, to be really be focused and, and care about the data that they're getting, working with the carriers to make these health plans run better. Um, you know, and, and I, I always say this, like, we have to engage people with kindness understanding. Um, and a, a big part of this journey is there's under, there's cultural barriers for sure, but there's so much financial, emotional stress already that the last thing a person wants to think about is, oh yeah, and I have to care about my blood pressure too, right? Ironically, not knowing that all those other things are <laughs> leading to the increase in their blood pressure. So as we go forward, you know, what I'm hoping is that these providers realize that as we track more of this data and we, and we put it to use on the carrier side, they will take that and then help kind of engage the member when they're visiting with them. So what I'm hearing is that 
the vision really is and needs to be a really strong partnership between the health plan that pays the bills and the providers that deliver the care, which is a great segue to bringing Meg here into the conversation to talk about how Aetna is doing that and how you've been doing that. It's not a new thing here in the Northwest, but you've got a whole strategy around developing networks that do just that. You call it Aetna Whole Health. So Meg, um, you're going to you're going to have chances now to maybe even out talk Eric. Uh, tell us, <laughs> you know, define Aetna Whole Health for us and describe what that care looks like. Sure. So Aetna Whole Health was first launched, I think, probably six or seven years ago in some markets. It's a network that we have nationally in selected markets. And what we do is in a market where there is a provider system, uh, one that is operating as an accountable care organization, so they have population health capabilities, we will work with them to build a network around their infrastructure. So in Seattle, for example, I think it's five or six years ago, we sat down with each of the health systems in the market and said, hey, are you willing to partner with us to develop this product, share risk with the plan sponsor, uh, set quality targets, make progress towards those targets, really collaborate with us in providing care to members um, in a way where we are, we're sharing data with you. You will use that data to help make outreach calls to members to help get them engaged. Um, so the Etten Whole Health concept is this concept that we're gonna create a provider network that's accountable and that will really be looking out for you and your whole health, if you will. Can you give us a bit of a rundown on who those providers are here? Sure. So in the Seattle area or Puget Sound, we are working with Providence Swedish and all of their physicians. We work with CHI Franciscan and all of their physicians. We work with, um, started out as the polyclinic, then the polyclinic formed a clinically integrated network called um, Physician Care Alliance. That brought in some other providers uh, Western Washington Medical Group, Sound Family Medicine, uh, and I'll apologize if I forgot anyone. <laughs> uh, so we brought them in. And then recently, as of the beginning of this year, we have also added um, Eastside Health Network, which brings in um, Evergreen Health and Overlake Medical, Health Medical Center and their providers. Yeah. Exciting developments. Yes, very much. So I'm going to go through some questions that I think will sort of help, you know, bust some myths, right? I feel like when I start talking about narrowed networks to clients or prospective clients, there is a sense that having a narrowed network, not having as many providers to pick from means worse. And if it's less expensive than that bigger network, then it also must mean worse. So how would you respond to that? Uh, well, no, it does not mean worse. It just means that we have selected these providers or negotiated with these providers to work with us differently. So, um, we are monitoring quality performance. We have quality metrics in all of our contracts that we're focused on. 
we are meeting with them on a uh, quarterly basis. We do kind of official joint operating committee meetings. I'm talking with them every two weeks. Uh, our medical directors are involved. We work with their clinical leadership and our clinical leadership are collaborating together. We have clinical teams that are focused on these relationships in terms of how can we work together differently to impact member care, to Im improve quality, to improve access. Every network that we create in every market has to meet the state and the NCQA guidelines for access to care. So we're always dotting our I's and crossing our T's, making sure the network provides the access that we need it to. Um, to the point that if an ACO partner that we have doesn't have network adequacy for a particular specialty, we will say well, we have to add community providers because we have to have that access. Um, so we're very focused on that piece. Um, we certainly take feedback from provider um, from members. We take feedback from plan sponsors. You know, it is a very um, carefully constructed network. So I can't just add another hospital to it without, you know, kind of um, impeding some of the other value we've created. But I frequently, or not frequently, but every now and then I'll get that question in terms of, you know, I've got a member who's been seeing this um, particular behavioral health provider. Can you add he or she to the network? And that's a particular area where we want access, right? We want access to behavioral health. So we will bring them into the network. Um, but we try and keep the primary care piece and the hospital piece um, fairly clean and fairly just directed to the providers we have, because the important point is to connect that member with a primary care physician that can direct their care and help them get the care that they need and navigate the rest of the healthcare system. So that's what we're trying to do. And some of those human touch points that I guess really uh, drive home for me the importance of what these accountable networks do, things like if your primary care provider sent you, um, wanted to refer you to a specialist and wanted you to see someone else and you didn't establish that appointment, there's now a way for that primary care physician to know that and to reach out to you and, you know, either remind you or see if there's maybe another uh, way they can help you to get that appointment established, whether it's getting a ride or some of the other things maybe that Eric talked about. Um, or the other piece, if you didn't get your prescription filled that your provider just wrote you for that high blood pressure, there are some really powerful ways now that a provider can actually take much better care of their patient that I don't know that they had in place before there were some of these other kind of strings connecting them back. Um, anything, anything else around that that you'd like to add or so, share? I think there has been tremendous gain in the last five, 10 years in terms of the way Providers connect to each other, the way they connect with members, the way they connect with us and we connect with them. Um, we, do, we do share a lot of information to help providers provide that optimal care to their members. Um, but obviously they're also connected to each other. Um, I think just about every health system in the Puget Sound area is connected through their EMR systems in some way or another. 
huge help. It's a great asset to the market. Um, we don't necessarily see that everywhere, but the market is definitely um, in a great place there. Just to, to follow up on some of Eric's comments, we are also sharing now social determinant of health index information with our providers. Um, I think a lot of them probably have some really good insight into that already with their members because they're dealing with them. They know the challenges they're facing. Um, but when you talk about the Aetna Whole Health product and there are members in there that maybe haven't yet connected with a primary care physician, um, it provides them with some insight into that member and the challenges they may be facing if they're about to do an outreach call on our behalf or if they see that member has been pinging around to various emergency rooms and they're trying to think about strategies for how to get them in. Um, so we certainly have examples of members that um, our ACOs have made outbound calls to to try and get them connected and found out exactly the types of situations you were describing. The member was coming off shift, all the physician offices were closed, they didn't know where to go. And so we've had case or care managers that have really um, worked to find the provider that fit best with that particular member to get the member connected and, and seeing changes in ER utilization and um, out of network care as a result. Sometimes it's just that initial, how do I get connected with a primary care physician? Yeah. And, and so we're there to help them do that. Yeah. So I think one of the other myth busters that I wanted to put out here today, because I, I hear this too, when we talk about narrowed networks, people's mind automatically goes to, oh, this is an HMO. This is not an mm -hmm. HMO. Um, right. There are some really big keys that make it not an HMO, um, but I'd like you to share what those are. Yeah, so it's not an HMO. We do not require primary care physician selection. We encourage it, certainly, uh, but we don't require it. So what we do is um, we run, obviously we have a number of different provider systems that are in the network. So one of the questions is, well, how do you make sure someone's looking out for each and every member? So we, member can select, uh, if they haven't selected a primary care physician, we run a claim algorithm to see where has um, Danielle gone for the last you know, two years? Have, they been, have, have you been seeing a certain primary care provider that's in our network? If so, we're gonna make that connection for you and say, you, know, you have been seeing a provider at um, Swedish, therefore you're a Swedish member. If you haven't, done any of that, we are gonna look at where you live and make an, um, we're gonna assign you behind the scenes to a provider that is close to you. That doesn't mean anything changes from your perspective in terms of how you access care. You can still go wherever you want within the network for care. But what it means is this provider and the ACO that they're a part of are now kind of looking at anything that might flag with respect to you. If you start hopping around to emergency rooms, um, they're there to be able to make an outbound call to you to say, hey, can we help connect you to a physician? We have Dr. Jones who happens to be five minutes from your house. So that's how we're doing it. Um, you know, people don't, don't like or they, they, they kind of feel weird about the restrictions that come with HMOs. So we're trying to bring some of the HMO benefits into a network that still provides choice and provides access. 
Yeah, it's it's a good blending. And one of the points I want to be sure that we drive home through this, and I'm sure I have said it on another episode somewhere, is that having all of these choices, like having the big, broad PPO networks, you do have tons of choice, but it comes with a ton of cost. And it also comes with this other layer of complexity where your doctors aren't necessarily communicating and sharing information nearly as much or probably as effectively if they don't know all of the different places that you're going. And right. so the price tag associated with that is something that, you know, I just often ask the question, can you afford to continue doing this just for the sake of saying that you have choice because you don't necessarily have quality? And that's, that's a hard one, I think, to kind of emotionally separate from in a market where everybody wants mm -hmm. all of the choices all of the time. Mm-hmm. So you have some really great examples and at least one particular case study that revolves around just a great example of employee engagement and what the impact was where Aetna could really partner in a powerful way. Would you share that with us? Sure, I have a couple of examples. The one that you're referring to was a plant sponsor that we worked with in the um, Tacoma area that had um, that they had a kind of a shift based schedule. Their employees did not have easy access to providers, you know, outside their hours. And it was a predominantly male workforce that um, not the best at, you know, seeking care when they need it. So we collaborated with them um, and with uh, Franciscan in the community who offers a virtual kind of urgent care program to say, how could we make this program more accessible to people? And it was a simple solution of putting an iPad in an unused room that they had to make that available to people to use to do a virtual video consult with, um, with a provider. So not a lot of costs, not very hard to deploy but provided that access for people so that they could just kind of walk down the hall, go into the room, use that resource if they didn't have another way to connect. And, and we provided the instructions for how to make that connection happen. So that's one example. You know, another example that we worked on with a provider um, had to do with just members whose um, hemoglobin A1C score was out of whack. It was too high. So we had a very focused outbound call campaign that one of our providers led. They talked to the members, they provide, provided coaching and counseling on ways to, to kind of get their scores under control. And then we did a follow-up study and we had just over 60% of the members then had their, their hemoglobin A1C scores in, in range. So it's those kinds of things that we can collaborate on with providers that you just don't see in a normal fee-for-service relationship. These are really, really deep um, relationships. I, I know all of the providers I work with. They're almost like family for me. So it's, it's completely different than just sort of a fee-for-service negotiation where you walk away and you maybe don't see each other again or talk again until the next time you're negotiating a contract. 
very impactful work where you can really see what kind of outcomes and differences you're making, whether it's in something that would seem kind of small, like delivering an iPad and making that available or outbound phone calls to drive up the testing rate. Cause that's 60%. That's a, I mean, that's a significant number. We can't get that many people to complete a survey about what they like about their benefits. <laughs> you know? Yeah. There's a whole different impact when it is a physician or a clinician calling you on the phone than when it is Aetna calling. So that's another thing that we really try and leverage. Um, Aetna is a great company, but you know, people don't always answer the phone when they see that kind of unidentified number on their phone or the Aetna number. But if they see it's, you know, Providence calling or polyclinic calling, they're much more likely to answer the phone and engage. Right. Absolutely. Well, I really appreciate the both of you making time to come and, and share your expertise with my listeners and to talk about how Aetna is working in our community here. Um, Eric, Meg, is there anything else that you would like to leave the listeners with? I want to make sure we didn't miss anything and uh, that any great message you want to put out there is, is conveyed. Well, well, first, thank you for having me as a guest. Um, I love your podcast. I think you do a great job tackling the issues that are going on. So when I heard your podcast on social determinants. I was like, Oh, I got so much to say about that. You know, we are, so we are fellow um, healthcare geeks. I like it. <laughs> right. Right. We like, we love that stuff. I, I would just say this, that, you know, statistics are very powerful. And I tell people that 90% of the healthcare dollars that are spent are spent on chronic conditions, which is a huge number. If you think about it, right. That's, that's almost the whole across the whole spectrum. Nine out of $10 is going to that. In order to reverse that, we need to start being better at being proactive and these type of programs, this type, this type of data, that's what we're trying to do, right? You know, it's, it's, it's time to engage a little bit more and really go to your populations and, and talk to them and meet them where they're at in their healthcare journey. And, and that's what we're really trying to accomplish. Yeah. Meg? I can't top what Eric just said. He was awesome. So I think he's got the perfect closing because that's exactly it. Good, good. Well, again, I, I appreciate your time. And I just want to conclude our time here together by just saying that, you know, these conversations about how we meet people with their healthcare, where they are, whether it's your zip code or your background or the language that you speak, these are all relatively new and we're seeing how incredibly important it is. And if you haven't listened to that episode with Linda Brink and I, I would ask you to do that. She gives so many great um, illustrations and statistics around these social determinants and also talks a lot about how, you know, we're really starting to believe that this is where wellness programs in their traditional format really didn't deliver what we wanted them to. So there's a lot of powerful things in here that can help us not only um, adjust our course and put something together that really works, we aren't stuck in plans and provider networks that are confusing and fragmented and don't deliver great care. And we can make all of this 
suck a little less and improve <laughs> health outcomes of people while we're doing it. So if you would like to learn more, um, Aetna and Lockton, we have a great partnership between our teams. If you would like to understand how social determinants are playing a role in your health plan, if you'd like to learn more about what's happening here in our market, I would love to chat with you. You can follow my podcast, The Checkup on iTunes, YouTube, or Stitcher. And I appreciate you joining us today. Take good care.